Uh, go ahead and if you would just take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. Give them a big uh, thank you for leading. They love you guys. Every time, every time we come down here, actually, we always just comment about what an awesome uh, university this is, and especially during some difficult times. A lot of that is uh, tribute to the Lord first, but also you've been gifted with a bunch of great leaders, uh, from President uh, Fant uh, to my good friend uh, Rich Grimm to uh, obviously Connor. Uh, Jody has uh, been such a great leader, and I got the privilege of meeting Justin today. And uh, once you put your hands together, also today is Justin's birthday, so give him a big <laughs> round of applause. Man's have a birthday, getting married soon. All that stuff is uh, is good, is good, is good. Hey, let us know how we can serve you. Easiest way we can uh, uh, try to serve you, pray for you, anything at all. I know some of you guys drive up the hill to the Hendersonville campus. Just text text NGU to 28282. We'd be glad to just let us know whatever we can do. Our Hendersonville campus pastor's here. So any way we can serve you, pray for you, equip you. Uh, some of you all are called to ministry. Any way that we can encourage you in God's calling on your life, that would that'd be our pleasure. All right. And so here's, let me just start off with this one. Uh, it was Connor that uh, said that the, uh, the theme for February is identity. The very first uh, thought that came to mind was actually and I don't read a bunch of novels, and I certainly wasn't an English lit major, but the first one that came to mind was actually Nathaniel Hawthorne's uh, novel called The Scarlet Letter. Because The Scarlet Letter, uh, just a brief synopsis of that is way back, I think it was in the 1800s, in a very Puritan uh, type of environment, and it was about a, a lady who committed adultery, and uh, when she was found out, part of her penalty uh, was to not just stand in front of a bunch of people for hours uh, sitting there in her shame, but to multiply that, she had to wear the scarlet letter A, not just that day, but for the rest of her life. And so everywhere she went, everybody she saw, every time she would get dressed, there would be the scarlet letter A identifying her as an adulteress, to saying that is who you are, that is your mark, that is what you're about, that is what your life is going to stand for, that is your identity. And what happened was that an activity uh, turned into a label, and that label that people put on her, she eventually owned, put on herself. And when the activity turns into a label and you own the label, that ends up, loved ones, just being your identity. And her identity was what is commonly referred to as, as shame. Shame. And a lot of God's people struggle with shame. Now, we oftentimes do it because we don't understand the difference between shame and its cousin that is guilt. And the difference really is this. We think shame and guilt are the same, but they're not, all right? Uh, guilt uh, not dealt with can become shame, but they are very, very different. Guilt says, I did something. Shame says, I am something. Okay? Guilt says, this is what I did. Shame says it's deeper. This is, who, this is who I am. This is who I've become. Guilt says I made a mistake. I sinned. I did something wrong. Shame says I am a mistake. I am something wrong. And so in some ways, the whole Bible is about covering our shame. We're doing this deal at our church a year through the Bible. And so we're just working through it, and I'm working through it from Genesis to Revelation you're like, how are you doing that? There's uh, 66 books, 52 weeks. Well, we're praying for a miracle. But we did start, we did start obviously, in Genesis. And in Genesis, right at the very start, you see what shame does. Uh, Adam and Eve, when they sin, 
They had the first man-made religion. What did they do? They went and got leaves to try to cover their shame. The first time, they've been naked the whole time. But then yet when sin came in, all of that, all of a sudden they knew they were naked. All of a sudden they knew they stood shamed in front of a holy and a righteous God. And so uh, what do we do with that? Uh, Augustine, or some of you all like to, you know, Augustine, theologian from North Africa, he said this, he says, before that Adam and Eve were clothed with the love and the acceptance of God, but afterwards they had a deep sense of soul nakedness. And so before we jump into the text, let me just give you a little bit, because I know this is a heavy subject today, but, and I had a little lighter subject in mind, but this is so important for us. When you talk about identity, this is the one that if we don't understand how do we apply the gospel to our shame, then you will never, never get out of that. And uh, here today, whether you're watching or online or whether you're here in this room, uh, usually we feel shame from one of three different ways, very quickly by introduction. It's usually, it's oftentimes something we do. Shame comes oftentimes from something we do. We fall short of what we expect from ourselves, or what we know that God does expect from us and want from us. We fall short of that. Psychiatrists say, you know what? We fall short of our ideal self. You know what? I let myself down. I did something. I don't like that. And there's a deep sense of shame. We're like, we're better than that. Second thing is uh, something that's done to you. It's not just something we do. Sometimes shame comes from something that is done to you. Again, we're talking to a lot of folks today, so undoubtedly in this room, just based on pure statistics, there's people listening that uh, either physically or sexually or emotionally, uh, you grew up and you went through some abuse. And that abuse, if you're not, if you're not careful, if it's not dealt with, uh, you end up kind of thinking, you know what, I was treated like trash, and so I am trash. I was treated this way and talked to like damaged goods, so therefore I am damaged goods. Here's a note that one girl wrote to her pastor. She said, quote, I was raped when I was nine, and for some time I messed around with other boys sexually. I'm ashamed of this and have only told two people about the rape. I know that I was just a child, but it still makes me think I'm a horrible person because of what I did. I feel dirty, and I don't think anyone will really love me. Then you can go on to stuff that's just, you know, also, you know out, people out of their control. Disabilities, infertility, you get cheated on. Uh, one guy said it this way, shame is the deep sense that you are inherently flawed, unacceptable, unworthy of love because of something you've done, something done to you, or something associated with you. And so what I want to do is I want to take the time and I want to walk through a story of a woman who encountered Jesus who had a deep sense of shame, and how did Jesus deal with her shame through the gospel, and then how then does he want to deal with our shame uh, in the gospel as well? So again, Luke chapter uh, 8 is where we are. Here's a little bit of a background. Jesus is super busy. There's a big crowd pressing in around him. His popularity is on the rise. He's done some miracles. His uh, name is getting out there, if you will. Uh, He's done things like calm the storm. He has done healings. He's on his way, actually, to help somebody else. And here's where the story starts that we want to look at today in Luke 8, 43. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. This is one of those texts that is 
mentioned in other Gospels as well. They call them parallel Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what they call synoptic Gospels. There's also, there's all, oftentimes overlay in this, and you get some different insights. It's all God's Word, but it sometimes has some different perspectives, if you will, and tells us. And Mark gives us a different perspective. He actually says, not only has it been 12 years, but she, the idea is that some of the doctors treating her had actually taken advantage of her and had these nefarious motives, and there she is, and there's huge detail and cultural implications in this for us to understand it. So real quick, let me go over those. It says, uh, again, Luke, again, is an MD, so he says there was a discharge of blood. We don't know what that was. Commentators have all these guesses, but either way, it was chronic bleeding, which led to her being in that culture a desperate, a destitute, uh, in chronic pain, I know my guess is there's some of you who are in chronic pain. And, you know, for those of us that, you know, you get sick once a year, for somebody who wakes up on Monday, terrible, feels bad, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, next week, next month, next year, for 12 years, every day, chronic pain. Uh, because of this, she's unable to have children. She is ceremonially unclean according to the Jewish law. Man, we think COVID is tough in the isolation. She has had to be isolated. She has been unable, unallowed to be in public for 12 years. No worship, no going to temple, nobody coming over there and hugging her. Nobody saying, great to see you, give me a big hug. None of that. She is outcast. She is lonely. The dreams that she had for her role in community, the dreams that she had to be a, a mom, to have a family, to have all of those things, they are, they are gone. And on top of that, she is broke because she spent all her money trying to get somebody to help her. And somewhere in there, she gets, a, she gets wind of the fact that this healer, this miracle worker is coming her way. And she's like, I've got, I've got to get there. And loved ones, two things keep people from doing this. And she actually overcame uh, both of these. One of these, people don't come to Jesus because of either pride, I don't need Jesus' help, all right? Um, and it often takes God pulling the rug out from under us so that when we hit the ground, we're looking up at him. We hear this a hundred times every month at Biltmore. It's like, you know what? I was walking along and then God dropped a rock on my life and that rock is a number of different things. Sometimes it's a busted up marriage. Sometimes it's a health issue. Sometimes it's a loss of a job. But all of a sudden, now I want to hear about the gospel. But the one that she's dealing with is shame. She knows she needs Jesus's help. And here's what it is. She's fearful though, that if she goes up there and he knows her, and he knows her story and knows the truth, then he will not help her. And so the story in verse 44 says this, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Remember, she's not even supposed to be in a crowd. Remember that? I mean, she's supposed to be home in quarantine. She's not supposed to be out in the crowd. So she takes a risk, and she goes out there, and it says she touched the hem of his garments, the idea of kind of that little tassel at the very end of a robe. And look at verse 45. And Jesus said, who was it then that touched me? And when all denied it, uh, Peter, and Peter gives hope for all of us in our journey of discipleship, uh, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. Thank you. Thank you for that knowledge, Peter. That's awesome. All right. But Peter said, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. 
Now, here's one of the coolest little things before we kind of jump into how do we deal with our shame, and that is this, is that usually when something unclean touches something clean, the unclean thing makes the clean thing unclean. You understand that? If you have a stain, all right, or even if you're sick, all right, if you're sick, all right, you don't, and you get near a healthy person, the healthy person doesn't make the sick person well. The sick person makes the healthy person sick. But in this case, what happens is the unclean thing got cleaned when it got near the clean thing, and that is Jesus. And the reason is because the whole thing of Scripture is talking about how do I cover my soul nakedness? How do I cover my shame? And the good news we've got all right, it's not getting a fig leaf and trying to cover yourself up. It's not trying to be religious and go to chapel or, or put a dollar in the offering plate. What happens to the uncleanness here, and this is the question the gospel answers. When he's on his way to down a cross, bear her shame. Isaiah 740 years before this would say, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own ways. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all on him. Galatians 3, Paul would say, he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse from us. Jesus takes her uncleanliness, her uncleanness, and then gives to her his cleanness, and she goes home in peace. All right, so here's verse 47. And by the way, what Jesus did for this woman, Jesus wants to do for you today as well. And it says, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. That means terrified, quivering. She's been found out. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people, that's a lot of courage right there, why she had touched him. And we don't know what she said, but the idea is like maybe something like, you know what, I heard you could help. I heard you calm the storm. I heard you heal the demoniac. I heard you could do that. And I thought just maybe, maybe he's not like all the other people that said they could help me. Maybe he's different. And as that goes on, and how she had been immediately Healed, And you got to understand what she's got to be thinking. Will he reject me too? Will he shame me like the rest of them have shamed me? Will he be angry because I have now made him unclean? That I'm not supposed to be here? That will he shame me in front of all these people who know my story? And uh, this is really the central question of the Bible. And in some ways, this is the central question every religion tries to answer. Okay, what is it like to be exposed in all of our shame and all of our guilt before a holy and righteous God. And there's really, by the way, just two religions in the world, if you will. We think, well, there's five major ones. There's really just two, all right? Uh, one is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to cover myself with a fig leaf. I'm going uh, to go to synagogue. I'm going to take a trip to Mecca. I'm going to do whatever. Or it's about what Jesus has already done, and that's the gospel, all right? So it's either, this is what I'm going to do, or this is what Jesus has done. And look at verse 48. It's like one of the best verses in the Bible. And it says this, and he said to her, daughter, by the way, this is the only place in the gospels where Jesus addresses a person this way. Daughter, your faith has made you well. You go in peace. That's an awesome verse. All right. You need to underline that. You need to highlight, you need to do whatever. All right. Because here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say dear stranger. Right? He doesn't even, he doesn't, he doesn't say, uh, he doesn't even say something nice like dear sister. Okay. He doesn't say dear friend. He says, he says, daughter. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of kindness. It's a term of, you know what, as awesome as it is for you to be healed, Jesus wants to know that he's going to do the greater thing, that she is loved, she's cherished, she is precious in her sight. And when she reached out in faith, then he made her well. 
He made her well, and she, she had the peace of God, and then she had a peace with God. It literally means he saved her, he delivered her. And so if you are here and you have shame because of something you've done, whether it be I mean, mistakes you've made, uh, Jesus offers cleansing through the blood of Christ. He does, all right? He offers that. You're like, well, yeah, you don't know my story, all right? You don't know my story. You haven't been here in a year. You don't even know my story, all right? I had... Uh, had an abortion one time, or you don't know what I did on spring break, or the church I used to go to said this about my past. All I'm telling you is this is what the gospel says. And for Christians, the fundamental issue is all about what do, how do I see myself? You're going to see yourself either through what you do, what you've done, and that can be good or bad. Your performance, uh, what your parents say about you, what, how many followers you've got, or you are going to look in the mirror every single day and say, you know what, I'm not what my performance says, I'm not even who my parents say, I'm not who my peers say, I am who Jesus says, and he's the only one that gets to label me. And when you figure that out, that is so fundamental. And I promise you, those of you all that are like, I'm called to ministry, if you don't figure this out before you get into ministry, that will take you down a dark, deep rabbit hole that very few times you ever recover from. And so there's so much peace in understanding this. Remember, this is going to date me a little bit, but there's like six of them. So I like the Jason Bourne movies. And if you saw the first one, the whole thing was based on, I don't know what the first one was called, but whatever it was, it was about this guy and he's, he can't figure out who he is. All right. I mean, the whole story is I can't figure out who I am. And one of the seminal moments there is when he goes to the bank and he goes to a safety deposit box. He's still trying to figure out who he is and he opens it up and there's all these passports there and his picture is on all of them, but they got a different name. And he's looking at him, he's looking at him, he's like, who am I, who am I? And it's this picture, 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 different name, different name, different way. And one of the, finally what he finds out is, you know what, who I really am, who I really am. When he finds out, you know what, his name is not even Jason Bourne, it's David Webb. There is this sense of peace that comes over him that it's like, it changes everything. You're like, I want some of that, I'd love, some, I'd love a little bit of that peace. Listen, I'm not even talking about the person that doesn't know Christ, I know this is a Christian school, I know that most of y'all, if not, you know, 90, whatever, who knows, the Lord knows, that says, you know what, I, I, I know Jesus, he's my Savior, but I promise you, based on personal experience, you will deal with shame. And if you don't know how to deal with shame, then shame will deal with you. And so the question you've got to ask is, how do I deal with this? How do I get free from this mountain of shame? So in our time, let me give you two quick principles from this. Number one, these are going to be quick, all right? So I'm going to talk quick. You think quick, you write quick. I know you got to get to class. Number one, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Every single day. I'm talking about preach the gospel. I came from a tradition. I actually didn't grow up in church, but my early years in ministry, I probably preached. I pre- it's what Keller says, and Ke- what Keller, it's old hat now, but Keller basically makes the great point. I think he's the original guy that the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's not the ABCs. That's the way I thought about it. That's the way I actually led for probably the first 15 years of ministry. It's not that I didn't love the gospel, I did. I just thought it was the doorway of all the other stuff that then you start to add stuff to. And then I began to see in the scriptures that everything, my motivation, all right, my goals, everything has to be grounded in that or else it all starts to go super sideways. And so when you look at it, you preach the gospel to yourself every day. And favorite verse in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what you have to understand is not just when you came to Christ, not only did your sins get forgiven, but his resume got put to your account. 
And so your resume says rebellion, it says sinful, it says an enmity with God. And then what he says is, not only am I going to take your resume, most people growing up in church, you know that. What we don't oftentimes get is the identity that he says, now you can have my resume. And my resume says, I obeyed the law perfectly every single time. My resume says, you know what? I went without food for 40 days and defeated temptation. Mine says that I raised people from the dead. Mine says I feed 5,000 people. And guess what? I'm going to take my resume and I'm going to give it to you. And then I'm going to climb up on a cross and I'm going to take your resume and die for it. And that is something you tell yourself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't feel that way. Here's, here's one you got to just put as an app in your life. And that is Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation. And the emphasis is on no, there's now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Jesus takes the condemnation for you. So there's none left for you. And the emphasis is on no, it's like there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now you got to ask, am I in Christ Jesus? Obviously, Okay? If I'm not in Christ Jesus, then you actually do stand condemned in your sin. But if you're in Christ Jesus, then he says there is none left for you. And I know we talk about it because I'm, uh, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, and man, I'm, I'm a, I come from German immigrants. I'm like the, I'm the guy that's always, my wife is like, uh, and we've been married a long time, but I have a German shepherd. And if you know anything about German shepherds, is German shepherds are not really supernaturally affectionate. They're super loyal. They'll stay going, but they don't show much emotion. They don't show any of that stuff. She's like, and she said this. I know she meant in love, but she said one time, and she's like, you know what? You and his name is Ranger. You and Ranger are pretty, pretty much alike, all right? You're, you don't show that much emotion. And the reason I say that is a lot of you are like, I don't feel, I don't feel, or I feel condemned. I feel condemned. And you can't argue with feelings. You don't argue with feelings, loved one, but you got to understand this. You can't let feelings be the Lord over your life either. You can't let it be that way. And you're like, well, I can't change my feelings. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. One gospel, spirit-infused fact can, in time, change your feelings. Sometimes just like that. So, for example, if I, uh, if I come to Jody and I say, hey, Jody, sorry, bro, I uh, hate to tell you, but your identity got stolen. Somebody just wiped out your bank account. You got nothing to your name at all. Nothing. Jody would have certain feelings. Yes, sir. They would have certain feelings. Those would not be good. Those would be sad. But, but, if, I was, but if I come to him five minutes later in his sadness, he goes, oh, I made a mistake. All right? I made a mistake. It was a different Jody, okay? You actually have all your money, and then some crazy stranger came up and put a million dollars into your bank account. That's what you have. I promise you his feelings would change. He would go from sadness to joy in a hurry. And so what you have to do is when you get up in the morning, preach the gospel to yourself, preach the gospel. You know what? I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemned. Jesus has given me his resume. He has given me his righteousness just over and over. You just, you never get tired of, I've been a Christian since I was, uh, I came to Christ through FCA at, at 17 years of age. And man, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm still a recovering legalist, all right? And as I look in the mirror, oftentimes what I do is I'll just run from God when I fail and because I'm still trying to saturate myself with the gospel. So preach the gospel every day. And number two, real quickly, is you got to continually claim a gospel-centered identity. Claim a gospel-centered identity. Let me uh, just give you a couple things. You're like, uh, you know, who are you? And you got to be able to say, and I'm going to make you say it here in a few minutes or ask you to say it, I'm not who others say I am. 
I'm not even necessarily who I think I am. I'm definitely not what somebody else uh, did to me. I am not defective. I'm not damaged, uh, broken, flawed, dirty, ugly, impure, disgusting, unlovable, weak, pitiful, insignificant, worthless, and definitely not unwanted. And what you've got to be able to say is I am who Christ says I am. I am forgiven. I'm free. I'm redeemed. I'm healed. I'm brand new. I'm chosen. I'm changed. I'm blessed. I'm beloved. I'm complete. I am a child of God. And it's like, that's what I've done for you. And, uh, I tell you what, nothing drives out shame faster than you understanding that, you know what, I am not just, I am not just, I'm fully known and I'm fully loved. Gosh, that's so different. If you're fully known and not loved, that's rejection. If you're fully loved, but not known, that's just sentimentality. That's a Hallmark card. That's all it is. But if you're perfectly known and loved, that's the gospel. That's what that is. And that's where you go to take away your shame. And so um, here's what I want you to do. And you're going to have to, by the way, you're going to have to deal with this all the time. And you're not going to deal with it by saying, I'm not going to listen to those voices that say I'm, lo- I'm loved by God. You, can, you can't do, uh, here's what I, you can't do this by saying, I'm not going to listen. It's like me saying, you know what? Um, don't think about a pink elephant. Boom, you're going to think about it. So the whole idea is not to not think about it. The whole idea is to turn the volume up on what God says about you so that it drowns out what everything else. Because God is going to convict you to say, hey, this is wrong. This is going to go down the bad path. This is going to hurt you. Come back. You're like, well, how's we don't do that because we think, we think, I don't know how I'm going to be received. And if you understand the gospel and apply it, Look at the prodigal son. God is not going to throw a fit when you repent. He's going to throw a party when you repent. That's what happens. What I, I'm going to throw a party. My son is returned. And so if you, uh, by the way, if, if you're like, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to just cover myself with religion. Then the way that you need to do today and today is say, you know what? When Jesus says it is finished, that counted for me. When he died on that tree, somehow, some way, that was my sin he took on the cross. And again, you might be at this school. You might even be called to ministry, but that's the main thing. Have I actually turned from my sin and embraced Christ? But here's what I want to do, and uh, I'm going to have you, uh, I think I'll do it this way, in, in honor of uh, Justin getting married here in a couple months. We're going to, here's what's going to happen to him in a couple months, and here's what's going to happen to a lot of y'all. Is you're going to get married one day, and the preacher's going to, you're going to get in kind of a rhythm. There's the first part of the ceremony, you just say, I do. You don't have to remember anything, just I do. But then there's the part where he'll say, repeat after me. And that's the part, if you're nervous and all that stuff, I've seen people faint in weddings because they lock their knee. I've seen crazy stuff, forget their words, you know, all that stuff. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you through a prayer that I'm going to actually have before I pray for you. I'm just going to have you say it. You're like, I don't want you telling me what to say. Just humor me, okay? So just, it'll, it'll bless you. But here's what I'm going to go ahead and put that prayer up, if you will. Here's the way um, we want to do this. Um, I'm not my sin. All right, this is not happy talk. This is just gospel identity is what it is. I'm not my sin or my shame. I am what Jesus has declared over me. That's what you got to understand. It's not because you and I are awesome people. It's because he's awesome. I'm what Jesus has declared over me. Jesus is the only one that gets to label you. And it's like, you know what? This is what I'm declaring. If I'm in Christ, I'm forgiven, adopted, new, changed, loved, redeemed, a child of God. I am who God says I am. 
Tell you what, let's just do it together just for time's sake, all right? So I'm going to go one, two, three, and I'm going to do it. And I just want you to say that to yourself. We'll put it out somewhere. Those guys will have it, so don't try to write it down. Um, or they'll leave it up if you don't have to go to class. So count of three, I'm just going to do it. And just say it with me. Say it as a prayer back to God, all right? One, two, three. I am not my sin or my shame. I am what Jesus has declared over me. I am forgiven, adopted, new, changed, loved, redeemed, a child of God. I am who God says I am. Father, thank you, and I want to pray that you would do a measure of more that we can ask or even imagine during the month of February, and as we prayed earlier, that you would bring revival to North Greenville University, and that you would start with us, and then it would just spread from there. We love you. Give grace to our leaders, and grace to